Hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls, and today we got a great episode for you. We want to talk about your family, and yeah, we're going to talk about your mama and your daddy and all the aspects that make that so important, but before we get there, dad, uh, dad I'm sorry, I called you dad. <laughs> you couldn't even wow. be my father. That's no so way, shape, or form could you be my dad, Scott, um, because you're much kinder than, than my father. And but, I'm not quite as old. <laughs> Yeah, it would be biologically very difficult yeah, to very make that hard. So we're going to talk about a few things. Before we get there, I want to remind everybody that we are now on social media. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, and we're on YouTube Shorts. So check us out there if you want a shorter form version of how you can connect with the content that we are uh, putting out into the world. Go there. We'd love to share it with your friends. It's getting a lot of great buzz. A lot of folks are tuning in. So we're excited about that. And more importantly, on this particular episode, what I want you to do is make sure to check in and find out why your relationship with your father is so important. We're going to tell you exactly why your dad and your relationship with him and having it be healthy or unhealthy may change your life. Daddy issues? Yes, maybe that's what we're on today, Scott. We're on some daddy issues. Okay. Let me tell you a little story, Scott. I I grew up um, in a household where family was just like a given, like, like everybody else, you know, my family was normal. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but, but this is the, this is the phrase I used to, uh, to use. I grew up and my mom and dad loved me and they were good people. And I don't know what my problem is. Like, that's my family story. When you hear a story like that, what immediately goes through your mind? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like just about everybody we work with claims that they're from a perfect family. And the reason why is because when you grow up in your family, you think everything that occurs in your family is normal. That's your version of normal. So you don't really know unless you start getting into the details of what your family system was like, how kind of abnormal it can be at times. And, you know, the other thing I hear a lot is, well, my mom and dad did the best they could, which you know, my response to that, particularly if you're coming from a Christian background, is also bullshit because nobody does the best they can. None of us do. We all are sinners in some way. We all, even if you don't come from a Christian perspective, you know that you don't do everything right all the time, right? And so your parents couldn't possibly have done everything right in raising you. I have children, you have children. We all hurt our children. We all hurt our wives. We hurt the people that are closest to us the most because they're the ones we spend the most time with. They're the ones that we care the most about and they care the most about us. And you're going to hurt them. You're going to have ruptures. But Scott, but Scott, my parents were good parents. They, they did, they did the things that they needed to do. I mean, I, you know, I was never physically abused. I was never sexually abused. I had all my meals. I had a place to sleep. I had all the things in my life that I needed to be, to be healthy. And and you're telling me that I do the same thing to my kids. I don't, I don't think I've ever done any of those things to my kids. So why is it that, that I would have issues with, with my family? I mean, we're just good people. I, I don't think you really believe what you just said. <laughs> like, I do not. I've never. I've never yeah. So neither do but I. I've heard it so much. It's like an echo in my head every time this topic comes up. Well, right? well, well, you know, particularly in um, kind of evangelical culture, we are very well trained to think about the sin in our lives. Right. You're you grow up, you know, kind of going to Bible school, going to Bible study, 
Sunday school, sitting in church, and you are highly, highly aware of the fact that you are a flawed human being. But most of us never look at how our family system and our relationship with our mother and father, which is the earliest and most powerful formative relationships we ever have, we never consider how how did my mom and dad actually harm me? How did they sin against me when I was growing up? And instead of just focusing on kind of what I've done, you know, to be a, a jackass in life, how about what my mom and dad did too? Because the ball has to start somewhere. Or as the book by Mark Wallen says, it didn't start with you. He's actually looking at it going back three and four generations because they have discovered that family dynamics, family trauma can be passed down to three and four successive generations. So you're saying that my grandparents hurt my parents and my great grandparents hurt my grandparents and I'm catching all that. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Wow. All right. Well, I, to your point, I will say the reason that I, in my younger years, particularized the harm and the, the brokenness in my life and dumped it all on my shoulders is because I felt it in my body. I felt the isolation. I felt the abandonment. And we'll get to all the dynamics of broken family systems in just a second. But I felt that in my body. And so it felt very real and, and well, very visceral to well, me. Let me just stop you right there. You said, I felt isolation in my body. Just go back for a second and recall mm -hmm. a time where you felt very alone. What did that mm -hmm. actually feel like in your body? Because when you're telling me you felt isolation, you're telling me a thought. What does isolation feel like bodily? For me, it was, it's just like, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this in the winter. It felt cold. Uh, it felt, it felt numb. Uh, there was a, there's a particular story that I've written around walking to school in middle school and I would walk by myself, um, every day. I can remember on one hand, how many times people would offer to give me a ride. My mother never offered to give me a ride closer to the school, even though it was very easy for her to do so. She just said, go to school, take care of yourself. And so I had to walk a mile and a half and yeah, woe is me, Gen X, whatever. Um, a mile and a half to school back and forth. But that feeling in my body of being alone and abandoned and having to figure things out on my own was really what I go back to when I think about that feeling in my body. Wow, you just, you just triggered a memory in me too. And that was when I moved to this small town in Iowa and I was in um, a sophomore, but I was 15 and all my classmates mm -hmm. were 16 and we had moved in the middle of the summer, so I didn't know anybody. And I would walk to school about a mile every day. And that wasn't the real problem. You know, I was fine with that. I remember the silence, though. It was just me, right? Yes. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's with me. And then my nemesis, Charlie Carrot, who was a grade older than me and just took a disliking to me with his pot-smoking friends, would drive slowly by me open the door to his Jeep and go, Cone, I'm going to kill you. Mm. And that happened day after day when I had no friends yet because I hadn't met any of the new kids. And I'm by myself and I felt this hollowness in my body. Yes. And so now, now we're talking about what's really going on in our families is what is our experience like with these people that we're closest to are they actually with us? Do we feel when we come home from the end of the day that there's anyone there going, hey, buddy, what's going on? You're, you look kind of downcast today. Or, so, Scott, do you want to go 
positive or negative? Well, my experiences are fairly. <laughs> I don't. Well, we can call the shit out, or we can talk about what the 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 way that um, family systems can really benefit and help people develop and grow. Yeah, so let's talk about the ideal. All right, the ideal. Let's talk about the ideal. Be, let's go. Let's go, Rosie, Pollyanna-ish. Let's go. Yeah, so let's talk about the ideal. All right, the the ideal would be you come home. Somebody's bullied you on the way to school. You come home and you're like this, right? And your mother or father read that on you. They feel what you're feeling because they're using their body to understand what's going on in your body. You're feeling this. Hey, buddy, I'm looking at you and I just feel a real, you know, emptiness here in this part of my body. And it just seems like you're feeling really down or really ashamed. What happened at school today? Nothing. Oh, oh, well, tell me about nothing. What does nothing feel like? And then they, the little boy starts to cry and you find out he's being bullied. How all that happened was I was paying attention as a parent. I'm reading my child's emotional state in their body, in their facial expression, listening to their tone of voice. But I'm mainly doing this unconsciously because this has been modeled for me in my home growing up. So I know intuitively how to connect with my child at an effective level, A-F-F-E-C-T. I'm paying attention to their affect, what's going on in their body, in their emotional state by, by paying attention to my body. Now, if you don't have that modeled for you consistently over and over again, you get the other thing. And that is you're all alone or you get home and you're told to do your, do your chores. I don't care. Quit complaining. Stop crying. If you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about. Get out there and feed the cow, blah, blah, blah. Or you come home and you're ignored either because your parents are in conflict or because they're so wrapped up in their own emotional stuff, they can't see you. Or they're working and it's crickets. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. you cook your dinner, you watch TV, you put yourself in bed at night. Wow. Yeah. So these are the formative interactions, the relationship dynamics that actually end up forming then where we take our desires and our disappointments to feel a sense of connection, care, comfort. And so we know from research that all of the kind of addictive ways of relating, including sexual addiction, is coming out of these family systems where there's either a lot of rigidity, lots of rules and regulations, but not a lot of relational warmth. There's a lot of disengagement is another type where you're raising yourself. You're a latchkey kid. So many of the people in our audience are latchkey kids. They came home. Both parents were working to support the great American lifestyle of having a house and two cars and, you know, family vacation, blah, blah, blah. But nobody's home paying attention to you. Or, you know, you can have both rigid and disengaged where one parent is one way and one is the other, or both vacillate between those two poles. And the, the other kind is where a parent basically is uh, spousifying you as a child, they're turning you into an emotional consort because they don't have a lot of delight and emotional warmth between their spouse and them, and so they inevitably so your turn parents you. you're being you're being you're being made a spouse of one of your parents. That's right, right. and that's saying. called triangulation or enmeshment. And it may not be you; it may be the other kid in the family is the golden boy that gets all the special favors and treatments. Mm -hmm. But what does that do to you? So. Yep. This is the kind of the fertile soil in which our sexual desires grow and 
sprout out of. So where does that lead from an arousal template standpoint? Well, um, I want to go back before we cross over that bridge, because I think it's really important to get some clarity around the two things that you said about um, rigidity and disengagement. Because even in my body, as I am listening to you talk, uh, I'm feeling, you know, that, that maybe not, that doesn't apply to me. Now I know full well that applies to me. I've taken all the assessments. I've told all the stories. I know exactly how rigidity and disengagement showed up in my family, but there's a loyalty. There's an honor code that I was taught as a boy to not say ill things about my mom and dad. And so when you talk about them being rigid, um, you know, I, I, I don't even know what category to put that in. Now, I'll be very explicit. I've heard stories of people who literally terrorize their children with their rules and their punishments and, and, and you know, abuse was rampant. Physical abuse, emotional abuse was rampant. But even in, in an environment like mine, which was this is the way we're going to do it, do it because I said so, never an explanation or an invitation to curiosity, never, uh, like you were saying earlier, uh, an awareness to see my struggle with the rules that were set before me. It was just do it like this because, and then you lay for our uh, dynamics, you lay God on top of that. How am I supposed to argue with God? Oh yeah. They're saying it at church. And so this is the way it's supposed to happen. So both my earthly authority and my eternal authority are telling me this is it. So when I rebel, when I, when I have problems with this, when I struggle with this, the problem lies with me. Yes, but I'll take it even further back because there is an attachment dynamic that forms in the first couple of years of life that's even more powerful than that. And that is I'm attached to these mother, father, caregivers because I can't survive in the world on my own. So I become very loyal to them just from a bodily standpoint because I need them to change my diaper. I need them to feed me. I need them to provide care, caressing touch and soothing, you know, tones to me. And I become loyal to them because I can't survive without them. So there's that survival dimension. So early on, if I don't receive attunement and care when I need it, if my parent isn't responsive and they're not engaged with me and helping me soothe my emotions, when I'm feeling fear or anger, they don't help me soothe that emotion or when I'm feeling sadness or shame, they don't pick me up and help me feel more alive. If I don't get that on a consistent basis, it's wiring my neurobiology. It's wiring my, my autonomic nervous system and my brain to fear abandonment, to fear being alone. And what that feels like in my body is that emptiness, right? Or that numbness. And when that happens repetitively, I can, I can start to form this state where I'm very, very anxious, anticipating that lack of care and attunement. And then when I don't get it, I go into that sinking, collapsed state of shame. So anxiety and shame kind of become hardwired as the seesaws of affect in my neurobiology. And then that sets me up to be susceptible to the cognitive things that happen in you by being told you want something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Or God is not happy when you dishonor your parent or all of that other stuff layers on top. So you have to go back to that is very, very young in our bodies. We don't remember it, but we feel it deeply. So there's that deeply held affect that just anticipates nobody's looking for me. 
nobody's going to be there when I need comfort, care, or connection. And, and so then the other stuff just adds to the words that I say to myself about myself once I start to get language capability. Um, so what does that do? It sets me up for looking for that outside of relationship, mm -hmm. right? Now, well, and when and when my only relationships have been disengaged already, when we're talking about disengagement, we're not talking about they're not there. We're talking emotionally, they don't see me. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm hardwired to say, hey, let me be in shallow uh, and purposeless and mere, merely um, usury relationships like porn, like hooking up, like um, um, you know cruising in the park, like doing all these things that feel in my body very true because that's what I know. I know a shallow relationship. I've lived with it. And that felt like love to me, but I can't get it right now. So now I'm going to go find it somewhere else uh, in another experience on demand. <laughs> yeah. Well, all these, all these uh, attachment wounds really are painful in the body. It feels very, very unbearable. Right. And so when I take that to sexuality, I'm getting a momentary jolt of pleasure in my body that makes me forget that terrible, collapsed, unpleasant feeling of being alone, what I interpret as being alone or being abandoned. And um, I love, you know, we were talking about this over the weekend that from the biblical perspective, we have a God that pursues us. Like he shows up in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and he told them not to or they would die. He doesn't come to kill them that day. He comes to restore them, and he says, where are you? It's not a locational question. He knows where they are. It's a relational question. He's coming to draw them out of their shame, draw them out of their fear, draw them out of their even their anger at themselves and one another, and he's, he's drawing out. And so many of us don't ever experience that in our family for whatever reason. So the rules and the regulations, and this goes back to what happens to my legitimate needs for care, comfort, and connection? What happens to my desires for how I get those needs met? What happens to my disappointments and the emotions that I feel in all that? And so where do I take them? And in one sense, you can look at your formation of your arousal structures, you know, what turns you on, the porn you go to, how you like to act out sexually, is a result of what's happened to your desires and your disappointments, and that all starts back here in our family. And where do, where do if, if I'm looking for care, connection, and comfort from my mom and dad, and I don't get that, do I have the ability as a child to step back and go, well, psychologically, mom and dad have these issues and they're not paying much attention to me and that's going to damage my affect and I need to get some care somewhere else. No, we turn on ourselves. Because a child, to, to recognize when I feel deeply held emotions about my needs and desires not being met, or I'm not soothed in that, what I learn is that what I want is bad and I'm bad. So I, it's easier to turn it against myself than to acknowledge my parents aren't really paying all that much attention here because to a child that is a fear of annihilation. If I can't be cared for by my parents, I can't care for myself. So 
this intensity of emotion around all this very, very early in our lives really is the setup then for everything else that comes after that. All the, you know, the cultural stuff, the religious stuff, all that. And then, you know, where do I go? Where do I take my heart to find life? Where do I take my disappointments? Where do I take my longing for connection and care? And so often it's the quick, easy orgasm fix because it feels really good, right? In my body. In my body, (laughs) which is where I'm feeling all the pain. Yeah. It seems like connection, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm taking a part of my body and sticking it in somebody else or they're taking a part of their body and sticking it in me. That's connection. Mm -hmm. And it works and it works. And I crave it because it's deeply meeting that need that's way back here, two years old, isn't being met. So, Mm. so now daddies. Well, I think it's important, Scott, as we think about this, you know, why is it that, that daddy seems to be a formative cry with all the men that we talk about? Now, there's, we're not going to say that there's not mommy issues because absolutely there are mommy issues. And um, we want to get to that point uh, at another uh, discussion. But when it comes to looking for a dad, and this is just true in my own journey, but also true in the work that I do with other men. I don't know how to be me as a man if I don't know my father. And that's I because just, that's because you're a you're a male, right? Yeah. So right. and 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 to say why that is, it's it's very simple. Is because women uh, are initiated in their bodies through menstruation and childbirth and some more organic ways. Not that there can't be an invitation into womanhood in a specific way, but traditionally and physiologically, men have always learned to be men by being invited into manhood by another man. It's absolutely necessary in child development too, because if you talk about the developing stage, when a child is going into kind of um, the stage called separation and individuation, they, they are attached to their mother. You know, we come out of our mother's bodies and for the first 14 months of life, we don't realize that we're distinctly different from our mothers. We think we're an extension of them, right? If so, if you take a child that's four, you know, 12 months old and put a red dot on their forehead and stick them in front of a mirror, they'll try to touch the dot on the kid's face in the mirror because they think that kid is a separate kid. But around 14 months, a child starts to realize, oh, I'm a self. They're, I'm different than mommy. And so this stage of differentiation and individuation, I start to separate from my mother And then I start to develop an identity that is separate from her. And I become a self. I become aware of myself. That's happening in two different ways. There's something called the implicit self, which is I'm not aware that I'm a self, but I have this in my body and my emotional states, my core emotions. And then I, over time, begin to develop this explicit notion of who I am. Now, for females... When they go through that stage, they don't have to reject their mother's gender because they're the same gender as their mother. But for boys to feel like males, they have to not only separate from their mother, they then have to attach to their father. So that's a little developmental hurdle that men have to go through that women do not. Which is where daddies come in. Because without the strength and, and invitation of a, of a father to say, you can't treat him like that, he's a boy or he's a young man, and inviting that young man into the experience of what it means to be strong, what it means to be individuated, what it means to be a leader, 
what it means to set an example, what it means to serve, what it means to sacrifice, all the aspects of masculinity are only modeled by a dad. And so then when we don't get that, what happens? We keep looking for it. Yes. And it's going to be eroticized at some point for many guys, depending on how deep the wound is. But mm. it, it tends to, and it can be eroticized in one of two ways. I can become really hypersexual in my masculinity and direct that towards women. Like I want to dominate women to prove my masculinity in that way. Or I can become hypersexual and really want to connect with men sexually because that makes me feel more masculine. That's replacing that what happens in this wound that occurs in my sense of being masculine or manly. So it's a very important stage for dads to be involved in. And again, there's a lot of primordial things going on here. So for example, all these studies have been proven in child development. Mothers soothe dads play. Play is an affective circuit that's deeply embedded in our brainstem. And it's actually how we learn to be sexual by being tickled, by wrestling, by doing things that are a little bit like dads put kids on top of the refrigerator and say, jump, I'll catch you. And a kid will jump and the dad catches them and it's fun. So we learn from our dads that risk, danger can sometimes be fun. We learn that chasing each other and playing monster and, you know, tickling and wrestling, that can be fun. And it's actually, um, I was just reading about play last night. This is something that all mammals do, and they do it face-to-face. -face. Here's the really interesting thing. They do it face-to-face. -face. Dogs, when dogs play with each other, watch them. They're doing it face-to-face. -face. Kittens play face-to-face. -face. Fathers and their sons or their daughters play face-to-face. -face. It's super important. So when I don't get that, when I don't get the face of my father, uh, and, and maybe it's because he's so wrapped up in his own junk as my baseball coach that he can't get past arguing with the umpire or yet or coaching the other kids. He doesn't stop to look me in the face and say, you're good here. I love you. Here's some places we can work on. I love you. And those, th that attunement, which frankly, I look back on my life. I didn't get a lot of that. So I looked for that in the faces of other women. I wanted other women to be the nurturer, carer, supporter, affirmer of me, particularly in my sexual uh, life. And for me, I don't think I got a lot of it. I did get some of it, but I didn't get a lot of it early on from my dad. He was chasing his career. And so I looked for it in the faces of other men. So mm. here is, I think, again, the fundamental nature of reality. I think you see it when Jesus gets baptized and this voice from heaven comes down and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to the words, beloved son, pleased. Every, every child needs to hear that from their father. I love you. You're a boy or you're a girl. And I'm really delighted in you. I'm really pleased in you. But they don't just need to hear the words. They need to feel it in their body. And where is that communicated? Here is, I think, again, the fundamental nature of reality. I think you see it when Jesus gets baptized and this voice from heaven comes down and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to the words, beloved son, pleased. Mm. Every, every child needs to hear that from their father. 
I love you. You're a boy or you're a girl. And I'm really delighted in you. I'm really pleased in you. But they don't just need to hear the words. They need to feel it in their body. And where is that communicated? Face. Yep. yep. Gaze. Tone of voice. The tone of that voice. Isn't that crazy that all he did to get that was take a bath? Isn't it? (laughs) He just went down the water. He hasn't done anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just ple- I'm just delighted in you because you're my beloved son. And I mm-hmm. think that is a I think that is a fundamental fabric of reality thing that every child needs to hear that from their father, but more importantly they need to feel it. Mm-hmm. And their dad needs to deliver it with his body to their body. It's like transmitting beam, I'm into you kid. I dig mm-hmm. you. I enjoy you. And when you don't get that, there's that empty hole that you're going to try to fill with anybody that presents that. And it's amazing to me when I start talking to guys about their arousal templates and what turns them on, I'll ask them, where do you feel most aroused? You, You would not believe how many times guys tell me it's the look in the other person's eyes. Yeah. It's their gaze. Yep. It's their expression of you turn me on. And to me, that is... Or, or you make me come alive. Or may, you I make me that, come... Yeah. I'm yeah. delighted in you. Yes. It's going back and filling that empty hole. So that's the thing, I think, to really be curious about. Like, when you're trying to decode, why do I like this kind of sexual stuff? Or why do I like this porn that I like? In what ways are you feeling seen, soothed, soothed? Safe. Safe. And And secure. (laughs) I'm just joking. What were you going to (laughs) say? Seeing what? (laughs) I was going to say all that. But that's what we're looking at. We're looking for that other person looking for us. And when we get that from our mom and dads, it gives us that security in ourselves. I am a good person. I am worthy. And I have something to give. If I don't believe I'm worthy... I don't think I have anything to give. And so I tend to use my relationships as a way to get. Right. And, and so much of what drives our unwanted sexual behavior is me getting and taking from that other person because there's an emptiness in me that I'm trying to fill with this fantasy of somebody that really gets me, somebody that really sees me for who I am and still delights in me. And so, um, yeah, that's, like it's something to be curious about in your own stories. Like when in my story do I feel delighted in by my mother or father? If I don't have memories of that, there you go. Right. And so how then does that connect to what you're looking for in pornography or in the sexual experiences with other people? What are you looking, what are you really searching for? And Scott, as you're talking, I think one of the things that stood out to me at the very end uh, aspect of it was, that in so much of my struggle, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking, Mm -hmm. I'm taking with a good father. I get a model for what it looks like to give and take at the same time. Yes. Yes. You know, the dad is enjoying, you know, an ideal father is enjoying his children, enjoying his work, enjoying his relationships, finding purpose in life. And yet he's giving and giving and giving out of the abundance of his joy. And I think when we're talking about overcoming this type of behavior, just getting rid of the behavior is going to do jack shit. It's just really not going to work because 
I've been programmed and I've got to be reprogrammed. And you said it um, recently, and I'll just reflect back what I've said. And you said back to me, my shame was caused in relationships. My shame is only going to be healed in relationships, healthy, attuned relationships. So all the curiosity in the world, yes, all the kindness toward yourself in the world, but you can't really experience that without connecting. You cannot somebody. pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have any bootstraps. There you go. You weren't giving them. So our invitation to you is to simply get curious and get connected. There are a uh, there are many places that you can connect to safe and attuned people. We would love for you to consider connecting with us. And so if you'd like to reach out to one of us, we'd love to get you connected with um, what we're doing and the groups that we're involved with, the experiences that we um, that we have available for you to feel that in your body so you can begin to love yourself as we all wanted to be loved as children in a way that your mother and father struggled to do in many ways. So we just want to invite you to keep listening, keep tuning in, uh, keep sharing what you hear here. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, send this link to a friend if you haven't already. We want to make sure that you know that we got balls. And so do you. Take care, guys. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.